listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So what do you get someone that has absolutely everything? And you see this, the, the answer to this in a guy named William Randolph Hearst. He's a guy, he was born in April 29th of 1863, so a few moons ago. And he died on April 14th, 1951. And he was an American businessman that developed the nation's largest newspaper chain. And even getting into media. About his life, it says that he created a chain of 30 newspapers in major U.S. cities. He created the largest newspaper and magazine business in the world. In fact, at his death, it was estimated that he was worth about $3 billion in 1951. And if you roll that for today, about $30 billion. But he was a little obsessed with something. What he loved to do was to collect uh, treasures, art treasures from all over the world. And one day he saw a picture of a piece of art that he just had to have. So he gets his assistant and he sends him looking, going to find this treasure. And after months of searching, the agent, the, the assistant came to him and reported that he'd finally found it. And guess where this treasure was? It was in one of Mr. Hearst's own warehouses. In fact, he was searching crazily for this treasure that he already owned. So what do you get someone that has everything? I think you help them have an appreciation. You, you help guide them to a, a deeper understanding of everything that they already have. And that's what you get someone that has absolutely everything. And you know what? That is what Paul is going to do today. But this, this passage is a little difficult. I told Clint this week, I said, you know, I would rather have a deep kind of theological truth that's just straightforward rather than what we saw today. Because in about nine verses, there's over 20 prepositional phrases. And so we have to kind of do some heavy lifting this morning. But Paul is going to show us what you get someone that has everything, you help them appreciate, understand what they already have. So look at verse 15. Let's start and walk through this. In verse 15, he begins this way. It says, for this reason. And he's going back to what we saw last week in Ephesians chapter 1, really all the way from the beginning to verse 14. He's summarizing for this reason what God has done for us. And remember what we saw last week? He says, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. So he's talking about for this reason, for God's calling, his adoption, his lavishing of grace, his redemption, forgiveness, giving understanding to the mystery of his will, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and the guarantee of an internal inheritance. He says, for this reason... Because of what God has done in eternity past through the present and will do for all eternity for this reason. And notice what he says about them. Because I have heard 
of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward the saints. He's talking about the fruits of God's working in their life. And notice he says two things about this group in Ephesus. Your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints. That they heard this message living in an incredibly successful city having all that they could possibly want. But they heard the message and they believed. They believed in the gospel. And then it says of their love toward the saints. And notice he says not just to their loved ones, not just their family, not just their friends, not just those that are in Bible study with or in a life group with. He says to all the saints. And man, doesn't that sound like an amazing church? I thought if we could just do those two things, if we could have faith in the Lord and love for others that, would, that goes beyond just us, that others are hearing about, if we could just do that, man, I think we would have arrived. If we meet Jesus one day and he says, you know what, you were a part of a church. Man, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you loved, you loved others, you loved the saints. Man, I think we'd hear, well done. But Paul is going to do something. He is going to take and write to this group something about them. And what he is going to do, he's going to pray over them. So what do you get a church that seems to have everything? Faith and love. Notice what he says. In verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And he is about to pray three Things. So what do you pray for a church that seems to have it all together? Notice the first one in verse 17. I pray this for you, those believers, those saints in Ephesus, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So they have a strong faith. They have a love for others, a generous genuine love but Paul prays that God would give them through the spirit of wisdom and revelation but the first thing to notice is this notice this is not something they can actually go and acquire on their own they need the spirit to do this in their lives and he prays for two things in that for revelation that's this unveiling of of insight an ability to grasp or to understand something. He says, I pray the Spirit would do that in you. And wisdom. The ability to then take that understanding or knowledge. And then apply it. Listen, I've prayed those things for myself. I've prayed that over us this morning. That God will give us the spirit of wisdom and, and revelation. But notice what he prays. They will have wisdom and revelation of. Of him. So the first thing that. Paul prays for these saints, these believers in Ephesus, is that the Holy Spirit would give them wisdom and revelation of God. But hold on. He's writing to people called saints. They, they are believers. In fact, Paul, he's addressed them. He just said, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. These people have faith in God and they have a love for all the saints. But then he prays that you would have revelation and wisdom 
of God. But so I get thinking, but don't they already know God? They have faith in him. So why is Paul praying that they would have wisdom and revelation of God? But notice, he's not praying that they would come to know God. They already do. What he's praying is that they would come to this deeper and more intimate relationship or knowledge of God. And that is a danger I think we all need to be aware of. That we can know a lot of information. We can know a lot of facts about God and still not truly know him. So let me ask you, why have you ever attended a Bible study? Have you ever sat and listened to a sermon? And if you're here this morning, the answer is yes. The question is why? If it's just to gain more information, just more knowledge, then we've missed the point. That the reason to go and sit and be involved in a Bible study or, or come to a church to hear a sermon or to go into a life group should be that yes, we gain more information, we gain more knowledge, but it should be to experience God more deeply or more intimately. I mean, think about it. it doesn't work in anything else in our lives or marriage or parenting. I don't know, working on a car, something I can't do. I mean, you can read a lot of books and you can watch a lot of YouTube videos. And man, you can have all this knowledge. You can have all this information, but still know nothing about how to fix a car. Know nothing about what it means to be married or to parent in the right way. And I think the same is true with God. We can know a lot of information and you can go and school everybody in Bible trivia and still not truly know God. And so if the thing is, believers, that we should see this life, that this is a lifelong journey. We're always should be growing and learning, but always so that we experience him more. But notice we can't do this on our own. He says it's by the power, the working of the Holy Spirit, that it isn't just to gain more knowledge, but we would learn something. And this love and adoration would grow within us to produce more worship of the one that we are learning about. And then verse 18, it's prayer request number two. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So prayer request number two for the believers in Ephesus was that they would know the hope to which they were called and the value of their inheritance. So what is this word hope? Think of hope like an anchor. Because hope is not wishful thinking. Like I, I hope it doesn't rain anymore this week. Or I hope the saints win. Or whatever it might be. It's not this wishful thinking. It is what latches on to the certainty of something. And so notice what Paul is referring to. He wants them to have this hope. He wants them to have this anchor. That Paul wants them to have a greater hope, not in what God might do for them. Do you notice you can read through any of Paul's prison epistles and not once does he ever ask for anything materially? Not once. So he's not wanting them to have a a greater hope in what God might do for them. He wants them to have a greater hope in what God has already done and then what he will do. 
So I think this is Paul's point. I think he wants them to take their focus off of what might be going on around them and to think about their future hope. Because I had to pause this week and go, how much time, how much thought do I really give to my future hope? Man, for me, oftentimes I focus only on really what I can see in front of me. That's, that's what I get consumed with. And Paul says we need to stop and to think about what is truly waiting for us. He says that it is the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints. That there is this inheritance that is hard to imagine that is coming, that is waiting for us. The problem is it's hard for us to even have a mindset of what that might be like. In fact, if, if we were like Ephesus, let's say 2,000 years later, the Lord tarries and he waits and someday some archaeologists come and dig up America. You know what they would find? Man, they would be uncovering certain things and they would notice that we had extreme wealth. They would notice that we live incredible lives. And as great as we may have it now, the things we might see around us today, even the things we might take for granted... There is nothing in this world that can compare to the joy that we will have in heaven. And Paul prays that they would know and have hope and anchor in the riches of their glorious inheritance. In fact, he says it's already theirs. They already have this. In fact, so it's already ours. We don't have to cross our fingers and, and hope that this is true. The future inheritance is already ours. But I think the problem is this. The problem seems to be we just don't realize it. We don't realize what is going to be waiting for us. Because Paul says an interesting phrase at the beginning of verse 18. It was their problem and it's still our problem thousands of years later. Because look at the beginning of verse 18. Because remember, first of all, I should remember, they already have a knowledge of God. He just wants them to know God deeper. He also wants them to know you have a future inheritance that's already yours. He just wants them to have a greater assurance of it. Because look at the beginning of verse 18, he says. Something that they need. They need the eyes of their heart enlightened. So what does he mean by the word Heart. In the New Testament, when you see this word, most often it refers to kind of your, your central inclination or the bent that we kind of all have within our human soul. You can say it this way. It's what is at the core of our lives. And we know we're born into this world with hearts, with an inclination, with a bent that are against God. By nature, we are close to him. But remember, these people are already believers. So why is he praying that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened? I think Paul is praying that the very core of their being, at the, at the center of their lives, that they would have an understanding of what they already possess. So what do you get someone that has absolutely everything? 
a greater understanding and appreciation of what they already have. And I think that's exactly what Paul is praying here. So why do we not, I don't know, why do we not already realize this thing that we already have? And I'm not going to answer for you, but I'll answer for me. This is why I struggle with this perspective of, of this future inheritance that I already have, that is already mine, that one day will be fully realized. I think for one, it's the culture environment that I grow up in. I am surrounded by the temporal, by things that are going to pass away. But for me, that's what I live in. That's what's around me. That's what I put focus on. And I read through thinking of the people in Ephesus where you're walking to work or you're going to see a friend. You know what is always, you are always in the shadow of, you would always be in the shadow of Temple of Artemis, the seventh wonder of the world. You're always in the shadow of that. You're watching this worship going on around you every single day. They hear the gospel their lives become radically different. And I think they're still seeing their friends and their family members and the people they work with doing the things that they used to do. And I think sometimes the thought might have been, man, their life sure seems a lot easier than mine. I mean, they sure seem to have a lot more than I do. They sure seem to be blessed. And I think I can often feel that way. But there's a second reason I think I struggle with this is I become too comfortable with where I am in my Christian life. Because you can go through a lot of Christian motions. You can do a lot of Christian activities and truly miss deeply getting to know God. I think oftentimes I neglect really focusing on my spiritual health. Focus, try to focus on my physical health and then my mental health, but how often do I really put the time and the energy into my spiritual health? I think oftentimes I spend more time taking care of my teeth than I do thinking about taking care of my spiritual life. But there's a third reason. I think I'm easily distracted by the present from my future. That it's so easy to get focused on, on the here and now and what I can see and touch and experience. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be aware of what's going on or concerned about it. But we can easily allow our present to distract us from the future. But Paul has a final prayer request in verse 19. But it goes with verse 18. It's the same kind of thing. I want pray that your eyes will be enlightened to this glorious inheritance that you have. I pray your eyes will be enlightened to verse 19. What is the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness, the unmeasurableness of his greatness, of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So Paul's prayer request number three is that they would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power in their lives. So here's where we need to be really honest. Do you really feel God's power in your life? Do you really experience that? When was the last time you truly experienced God's power working in your life? 
I think the people in Ephesus could be saying that. Well, look at Paul sitting in prison, chained to a guard. Where's God's power in that? But he wants their eyes to be open to the glorious inheritance, then their eyes to be open to the immeasurable power of God in their lives. And I'll be honest, I think there seems to be days and weeks I go by that, I don't know, maybe it seems that I'm not really feeling, I'm not really seeing God's power in ways maybe that I once did. So I begin thinking, I wonder why that is. Once again, just for me. One of the things I think is a, a, a spiritual dullness that I can feel, I can have, I can, I can experience. But I think the truth is when we experience the power or the magnitude of something, if that's truly going to happen, if I'm, if I'm going to experience the power of something, it only happens, I think, when I know what is really at stake. Think of it this way. If you're healthy, if you really are healthy, you really won't know the power of a medicine until you know how deadly the disease that it's holding back. I mean, sometimes that's the only way to really experience the power of something is to know what it is working in your life. If you ever had a problem in a relationship, you really won't know the power of forgiveness until you realize the damage that you can actually cause. If your child has never spent a day at a children's hospital, then you really can't know the power of loving nurses until you've sat in a room holding a scared and crying child. So we truly can only know the, the indescribable death and the power of sin. That's the only way this really happens. If we actually knew how big of a threat sin actually was, we might actually experience God's power more in our lives. But I know for me, I can become very dull to that. There's just this spiritual dullness that I have to fight against. If I actually knew how important my spiritual health really was. But I think there's another thing that I struggle with in this. I would call it just an ignorance. It's because I don't think I can really see, and I know I don't, the battle that Christ is actually fighting for me each and every moment of each and every day. So another reason I don't feel God's power maybe sometimes in my life is I'm not actually aware of the magnitude of the demonic powers that are coming up against me all the time. If I just understood what Christ was doing each and every day of my life, maybe my eyes would be a little bit more enlightened meaning if we ever feel safe we'll only be thrilled with the ones protecting us if we know how deadly the threat actually is and this is why i think people that serve in certain areas that are maybe nurses or doctors or police officers or, or firemen they have a different appreciation for safety and health than i do because they know the, and see the evil and disease and the threats that I'm often not aware of. And if I was more aware of the battle that Christ was fighting for me in the spiritual realm, my eyes might see the power more and more. But here's my third reason. So I can have this dullness, I can have this ignorance of just not knowing, but I think there's a numbness. 
Because do we really fully consider what happened to Jesus in his role in the universe? And I think what happens is Christians that are doing this thing week in and week out, we can have this numbness that happens because we can hear something over and over again and it almost becomes just like white noise. So you know what Paul is going to do? He's going to help the readers in Ephesus and even us today with this. Because Paul is about to describe the greatness of God's power toward them. And he's going to do it in four ways in the last three verses. Look at verse 20. So he's talking about the power of God working in their lives. And he says in number one, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That God raised Jesus and broke the power of sin. And I think we often can quickly just kind of run through those words and thinking about what Christ had done to never stop and really contemplate what that means. Because we have the knowledge. We have the facts. And I pray we believe it. But do we ever stop and to think about the strangeness of that claim? That Jesus was beaten, tortured, crowned with thorns. He was mocked. He was unfairly tried, nailed to a cross, suspended in air, and finally stabbed in the side. And then they take this Jesus of Nazareth. They wrap him tightly, packed like mummy wrappings, and placed in a tomb. There is not even today, there is no modern methods, methods that we could use that would have produced a blimp on a monitor. And you know what they had? They had ointments and herbs. That's all they had. Yet a few days later, Jesus literally steps out of that tomb, not only restored to health, but in a glorified body. There is not anything more powerful than that. And the truth is, believers, is his resurrection, it becomes ours. That even though we die, we will live forever. That our death is only the beginning of our eternity. But Paul isn't finished. Christ was raised from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That he placed Jesus at his right hand. Think about this. That before creation, Christ in God the Father shared in the heavenly glory. He had it all. Yet he voluntarily surrendered that position of great power and authority to take on your humanity. Humbling himself as a servant and a sacrifice for sin. But yet that's not the end of the story. After the resurrection, Jesus returned on high, taking to heaven his full and complete human nature. And is seated at the right hand of God. And he did that so that he could perfectly represent us. What's more powerful than that? But God's not done in verse 21. What does he do? He seats him at the right hand far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the one to come. 
that God set Jesus over every authority and power. Meaning there is no rule or authority or power or dominion that Christ doesn't rule over. Not just during Paul's time, but in our time and the ages to come. But he's not done. Look at the last one in verse 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So Jesus put him his head over all things for the church. And head means this idea that it implies authority or rule, active rule. Meaning this, that Christ has authority and he rules over all history, all human beings, all demonic powers, all diseases, all disabilities, all nature, all weather and hurricanes and lightning and tornadoes and earthquakes and floods and wildfires. That Christ is ruling over all business and industry and healthcare and sports, even the Super Bowl. And in inventions, in media, the internet, military powers, governments, presidents, kings, chiefs, regions, universities, the solar system, the stars, the galaxy, and every molecule, atom, and 10,000 other things, he is ruling. What is more powerful than that? And he rules over it all. And notice what it does. It includes the church. That Paul's desire is that they would be a church that has faith in God and loves others. But they would not stop there. Every day they would grow in a deeper appreciation and understanding of what they already have. And he says that will be powerful in the church for the world to see. So what do you get someone that has everything? A greater appreciation or understanding of what they already have. And I think we all need that in our lives. Because I think we can so easily get comfortable about where we are spiritually. And we can just get to where we're going through these motions. So let me ask us, are we settling for something far less than what God really wants for us? Have you lost that zeal that, that you once had? Are we caring more about the things of the world than we should? I think the problem is we often settle for something far less in our spiritual lives than we would settle for any other area that we are in. So what do we do? I think we follow Paul's example. I would encourage you to find someone and pray this for them, that they would know God. Because I want you to know, I need you to praying that for me. That building a sermon wouldn't be just some intellectual uh, uh, exercise. But as I'm spending time each week trying to come up with something that I need to say, that, that God would use that in my life. Praying for our teachers that are leading our children. 
I mean, imagine if we begin praying for them. Lord, would you in their life, not just that they're going to prepare a lesson to teach a second grader, but through that lesson, you would speak to them to help them know you more deeply. Bobby that leads our connections class, our Bible study leaders, our life group leaders, that we would be praying for them, not just to gain more knowledge, but God would use that in their lives. But I think we also need to be praying that the eyes of our hearts would be opened to the power of God. As I think of what's happened, there's this radical change that happens when we come to know Christ. And then as time goes on, we, we kind of want those burning bush experiences. I mean, we're looking for that, that parting of the Red Sea or that manna to, to drop from heaven. Or we want that walking on water experience. But the truth is, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God, exalted him above all things and everyone is already at work in your life. You just need the eyes of your heart and my eyes of our hearts open to that. You know, every time, even in the smallest way, that you withstand temptation, that's God's immeasurable power in your life. Every time you discover something new about him and you see your love for him and your hunger for him grow, that's God's immeasurable power in your life. Every time you blow it, but you go to God in repentance, that's God's immeasurable power in your life. Every time you pray, that's God's immeasurable power in your life. Every time you serve someone, and that's God's immeasurable power in your life. Every time we gather as believers, that's God's immeasurable power at work. Every time there's just that passing thought, you know, this world is not my home. I'm an alien until I'm called home. That's God's immeasurable power in your life. Every time you're struggling and you reach out to someone for help, that's God's immeasurable power in your life. Every time you make someone feel welcomed or, or loved or accepted, that's God's immeasurable power in your life. Do you know what? We don't need more of God's power in our lives. We just need eyes to see it already working. And I pray that for us today. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.